All right, why don't you go ahead and be seated. Thank you. I love that song when I heard I had the opportunity and the privilege to speak about a church, specifically crazy church, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, I went up to crazy Pastor Dave Bolin and said, can we do that church song, We Are Your Church, because it fits so well and it gets you up and moving and stuff. We are your church. We need your power. Light this church on fire. That's right where we're at today, being crazy church a little bit. So that's kind of where we started. So thanks so much, worship team, and for you guys diving in uh, there. So we, are, we started last week, if you had the chance to come, this You Drive Me Crazy series. If you missed last week, we'll start driving you crazy today. We'll just pick it up right here and get, get going in this process and had an excellent opportunity to do that. Today we get to talk about crazy church, and here we are. And we'll take a couple of different viewpoints on that and kind of see what God has to say to us this morning. But just in case that whole idea of crazy kind of is messing with your mind a little bit, you're not unsure about it, I just want to kind of allow us to let our hair down a little bit, relax, and kind of find some peace with this. Let's check out this slide to frame things. So hopefully that speaks to you in some sort of a way. Relax, we're all crazy. It's not a competition, so just kind of hold on. Our friend the squirrel there is kind of framing things for us as we get things going. But, but what does crazy church mean? I mean, people don't drive me really crazy at church. I mean, this is church after all. We're mostly spiritually minded people here. Many of us have made a decision to follow Jesus as closely as we can with our lives. I mean, this isn't like it's out in the community where it's just kind of crazy making all the time. This is church. I mean, what are we talking about? People don't really make me crazy here. Yeah. See, some of you like to come to church really early. I mean, like really early, and then some of you barely squeak out on time, and some of you pretty much have that habit of showing up just kind of late, and you know, that's the way your life works, and y'all drive each other crazy about that. Then where you sit, some fit in the, some sit in the front, some sit in the back, some are in between. Some of you are really bothered when someone sits in your seat, and they drive you crazy when that happens, right? Then it comes to singing. Some of, us, some of you raise your hands a little bit here and there. Some of you sit on your hands to make sure they don't accidentally drift upwards as you sing. Some of you, you know, kind of find that spot. Some of you get like dance in the aisles and just go to town and you're in, you're in danger of uh, seriously damaging the person next to you, right? And some of those people drive you crazy depending upon where you come from. Should I go on? Hey, I know for some of you introverts, you absolutely hate the welcome time we do here, you know? We think this is a great time. We want to connect, make sure we know we're a friendly church, that we love each other. And some of you are going, please, Lord, let no one come up to me today. I hate this time, you know? And at least someone that I don't know, right, in that process. Others are like, I'm meeting 37 people I've never met, and you're running up and down the aisles. And depending upon where you come from, you drive me crazy, right? And on and on that it goes. We have these opportunities. We stop and go, actually, church can be a crazy-making place a little bit here, can't it? And uh, if, we're, if we're honest with each other, that's where it's at. That's what crazy church can be and can mean for us. And so we can call church crazy church because it's made of, yes, look in the mirror, crazy people, right? Crazy church is made up of crazy people, and that's us. And as we heard from Pastor Ron last week, doing relationships well, and that's relationships outside and inside the church, it doesn't consist of hoping or praying for others to change. I mean, that crazy person, as soon as they change, things will be better. It doesn't consist of that, but instead understanding that I can make my relationships work better as I learn to feel and show empathy. We talked about that word last week, empathy. And uh, I, I'm going to hit you with the same definition that came up last week, underline some different words for different slant. slant. But empathy is, is uh, go ahead and bring up the next slide. Empathy is uh, tuning into what someone else feels validating the bigness of it and expressing compassion. That's empathy, which is such a, you know, that's different than sympathy, which sometimes just, man, I feel sad for you and let me try and fix you. 
And we talked about that some last week. But empathy is, is tuning into what someone else feels, really entering that, validating the bigness of it. Wow, that's huge. You must be feeling. And, and then expressing compassion. And we may never get around to actually fixing anything. Maybe it doesn't need to be fixed, but it's right there. So each week in this uh, You Drive Me Crazy series, we'll talk about how to focus on the needs and feelings of others, even if they are driving us crazy in the process. Now, the series verse is Matthew 7, 12, the beginning of 12, and Pastor Mark read it earlier. It's the golden rule. Do to others whatever you would have them do to you. Easy, easier said than done sometimes, huh? It's a famous golden rule, but it's a key to empathy, and it's also uh, a key to dealing with crazy people. And we'll hit that with as we look at crazy church. Now, today we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. We're going to camp out there and kind of unpack those verses. If you brought your Bible, you can open it right now to that. You know, the, sli- the verses are printed in your outline. They're up on the slides as well. But if you brought your Bible, we want to honor that. You can open to Colossians uh, chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. And these verses really talk about how to treat each other at all times. And that it cl- includes at church. Okay, that includes at church, and, uh, and uh, we, we expect people, <laughs> it's, it's interesting, it's funny, but we sometimes have a hard time truly extending compassion at church, you see, because this is church, and we expect people at church to know better, in a sense, that can happen. I mean, someone in the community may have an excuse, right, because they're out there, but a churchgoer, come on, they should be in a different place, they should know better. Maybe you've heard this, I've heard this, and it kind of hurts to hear this expression. The Christian church is the one place where they shoot their wounded. Have you heard that? And it kind of gets a bit of a laugh. And then you kind of start reflecting on that. It's the one place where they shoot their wounded. And, and sometimes it's very sad but true. It, uh, we'll, we'll sometimes take each other down with all too much regularity in the process. And, but here at church, if we're honest about it, we're a place of broken people, aren't we? place of broken people, and a place where we can admit that we're broken, a hospital where we need to receive care and healing and not a bullet to put us out of our misery, you know, you know, go ahead and just take me out, you know, in the process. It can be messy. It can be really messy, sure, but if you think about it, Jesus's life and ministry was messy all over the place. Rarely was it clean and ordered. It was messy. So here at church, we encounter craziness. We do. We encounter craziness, it's brokenness, sickness, all sorts of things, and we need to learn how to give one another grace that comes from empathy. Now we'll take a look, if you want to follow along in your outline and fill in some blanks as we go through, we're going to take a look at two different things, uh, two different perspectives on crazy church. The first one, and we'll spend the most amount of time on this, is how to deal with a crazy church. How to deal with a crazy church. We just talked about crazy church is a reality. How do I deal with that? How do I come to grips and how do I apply this concept of empathy into a crazy church? And so we'll take a, a look starting Colossians chapter 3 with that. First of all, it starts with knowing. This is the first point. It starts with knowing who I am and whose I am. That's really where it starts. Who I am and whose I am. And I have to know that. Now, see, this is incredibly important as we look at dealing with crazy relationships. See, the one thing in common with all my crazy relationships is me, <laughs> right? It's, it's true for you, too. That's not just me. The one thing in common with all your crazy relationships is you. So, so we need to start at home right here with a good close look at the mirror at ourselves. And I, and I don't mean so that we can do this, you know, to criticize ourselves or identify failure, but looking at the mirror at ourselves to celebrate who God has created you to be. That's where we start, to celebrate who God has created me to be. And and in Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, who he has remade me to be. 
who am I and who do I belong to, that belief, that understanding will absolutely determine my behavior. So we're going to start in Colossians 3, chapter tw- uh, verse 12, and uh, just a few words to kick off the verse. It says this, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved... And I'm going to stop right there. That's kind of the starter to say, you know, so this, and then off we go. Well, we're going to look at what about all that. But I want to stop right there. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, who am I? Now, Pastor Mark will develop this a lot next week in his talk. He's taking a look at another passage in Colossians 3. But, but I have to touch on it here. I, I don't want to steal, steal too much of his thunder. I told him first service. I'll, I'll leave some space for you. But we have to touch on it so we can lay a foundation for dealing with the crazy church because that's right where it starts. Why is this important? It's important because knowing my identity de- determines my behavior. Knowing, truly knowing my identity really determines my behavior. Now, if you were, uh, if you were called on to be, uh, and you, you know, you, you all of a sudden got called to be on the San Francisco Giants team this year. Okay, maybe that happened to you. And all of a sudden, you're a giant. And you would take pride in that identity. I mean, slow start to this year, but come on, this is the Giants, right? And so you would take pride in that identity. I am a giant, baby, you know? And you'd not just, you know, wear the gear that you'd go buy at the local sports shop. You'd wear the real deal stuff, right? And you'd walk around and you would be, it'd be awesome. You'd want to walk and talk and act the part of a giant, a world champion, right? A three-time world champ, you know? You just joined the team. But I got news, you're not a San Francisco Giant. You're not a San Francisco giant. But Colossians 3 says what you are, chosen, holy, and beloved. Whose am I? I'm his. I'm his. You see, if you've received Jesus into your heart, if you've taken that step, you've made that commitment, if you've chosen to follow him, uh, and, uh, and, and, the, and if that's the case, and the spirit of the living God lives inside of you, and you belong to him. You see, you are chosen by him just the way that you are. You're chosen by him just the way you are. And you're loved by him just the way that you are. And and you're declared holy and righteous by him in Jesus. That means free from the bondage and penalties from sin. And that's pretty cool, isn't it? That just says, I love you. I chose you right the way that you are. I declare you holy and righteous in Jesus Christ. If you've made that decision, that's just the way it is. That's your identity. That's awesome. But, But here's the deal with that in the church. See, we looked in the mirror and you really need to see that truth. But this description doesn't just refer to me. It describes the other believers in the church too, including that crazy person sitting just down the row from you. That person has that same identity. Oh, yeah. See, it describes other believers in the church. And you have to ask, how do I view them? How do I view them, especially the crazy ones? (laughs) Do I see them the way God sees them? We just talked about how God sees you. That's how God sees followers of Jesus. Do, do you see the people that way? Not often enough, I think. God doesn't see crazy when he looks at you, when he looks at us. Well, a little bit. He's, he sees his kids who can be crazy. He sees his kids. And, you know, I think about that with my kids all the time. They're crazy kids, but they're kids, you know, and I love them, I love them, I love them. That's God saying that about you. You see, I can deal with the crazy church of crazy people when I know who I am and whose I am because I know that I'm made new and I'm empowered to be like Jesus in the ways I think and act and speak. You know, I may not be a giant, but I'm a Jesus follower, baby, and I can act like one, you know? And so is he and so is she, and, and he and she deserve that amount of comp- empathy and compassion and kindness and all of that. So dealing with a crazy church starts when I know who I am, 
really who I am in Jesus and whose I am. And I do have to say that, that if you've not made a decision yet to follow Jesus, that I just talked about that, that's, that's just the gift that, that when you say, you know what, I need your forgiveness and your leadership, Jesus. I can't do it on my own. And when he comes into your heart, he gives you all of that. You don't earn it. He just gives it to you. It's a gift. I just want to make sure that's clear as we, as we walk through that. Because some of you are, are wrestling with that decision. Maybe even this morning, I'd encourage you to make that choice. But we're talking about what God calls us to and how he provides for us. So um, when I know who I am and whose I am in Jesus, once I do that, then I can take the next step. See, what starts with an identity right here with who I am. Secondly, though, then I can clothe myself with empathy. I can clothe myself with empathy. You see, I need to start with knowing who I am first. That's what's most important. And then the clothing goes on top of who I am, right? I mean, the clothing is important, but not more important than the person, right? Okay, you can put a tuxedo on a bullfrog, but it's, it's, uh, it's not going to change him a whole lot, right? At the end of the day, he's just a well-dressed bullfrog, right? I mean, that's just kind of what it comes down to. But, but I'm not a bullfrog. I'm a chosen, beloved, holy child of the Most High God. Do you get that? I'm a chosen, beloved Chosen, beloved, holy child of the Most High God. And he has prepared me so that I can wear his clothing. He said, I made you and that you're ready to go. So now you can start putting some clothing on when you understand who, you're, who you are and whose you are. So let's look at the, less, the rest of Colossians 3, verse 12. It says this, after it says, so you are a chosen, holy, beloved, uh, holy and righteous. He says, then put on, that's the clothing, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I want to take a, look, take a look at a list of those, that list. And the reality is we could spend a week talking about each one of those. But I think in context, what we want to do is kind of paint a picture here. So I'd like you to picture those things as pieces of clothing that we're actually going to put on physically here, okay? So articles of clothing. So we're going to start by putting on that coat of compassion. Put your coat on, compassion all over it there. And then we've got a cap of kindness that goes on the top here. And then we've got some, I'm just running with alliteration, high tops or high heels of humility, that go on the bottom appropriately, a jersey of gentleness and some, some pants of patience. How's it looking? That's quite an outfit that's going on there, right? Can you picture, can you picture yourself wearing those things? When people look at you, can they see those things all working together? So these are the ingredients of empathy. If you think about it, these things are what empathy actually is, tuning into what someone else feels, validating the bigness of it and expressing compassion. You kind of see yourself clothing yourself on top of who you are. Now, this is crazy stuff, and it's not what comes naturally, even at church. Now, good thing the Holy Spirit is building these things in me because I'm on my own. I'm going to get a bunch of D's and F's on my empathy report card. <laughs> I just am, you know. That's the way that it is. Good thing he's working on that to make those happen in me. But I want to take a look at one of those articles of clothing up close, the, the humility that came up, and the high tops or high heels, whichever fits for you there, of humility. And I want to highlight this one because it emphasizes a great point that Pastor Ron made last week. He, he asked the question, what dries up empathy? What, what tosses empathy out the door? And that happens when you feel superior to those who drive you crazy. We just start putting them down, and you're just looking down at them, and we feel superior, and we move up above. See, we then pass judgment on those inferior people, inferior from our perspective, before they even open their mouths. You know, we start rolling our eyes, and we start just doing our thing and putting them down. And, and this passage lists humility as being a key article of clothing so we can be empathetic to those around us, not just noticing fault, but empathetic and entering into that pain or that situation with them. That's a key one there, and I, I want to pause for a moment for maybe an application point here, because I'd ask you this, what article or articles of clothing do you need to put on to be more empathetic 
so you can deal with a crazy church. We just listed five, and if you were to test, take a look at those. Is there one as you look at those that you say, yeah, you know what, God? I need you to build that in me. As you build your kingdom here, build that in me. It's the whole patience thing, woo, or humility, or maybe it's all of the above. You know, sometimes it's helpful just to tackle one thing. God, build this in me. I want to be more in this way. I want to put on that cap of kindness. I want to put on that, you know, whatever that it, that's there, that God wants to build that in you. There's a moment just to maybe do an application moment. Well, the next step to dealing with the crazy church, we talked about identity, who I am and whose I am. We talked about putting on these clo- the clothing, basically, of empathy here that's, that's a part of this. And then uh, we need to know that we get to deal with imperfection here at church. Know that we get to deal with imperfection here at church. Now, I thought too late. I thought we should have misspelled imperfection right there, you know. We get to deal with imperfection here at church. Now, hold on, Pastor John. You said it wrong. You said we get to deal with imperfection here at church. We get to? Well, yes, that's absolutely what I'm saying. We get to deal with imperfection here at church because imperfection will be here at, in the church because it's made up of imperfect people. We talked about that, right? Look around. There it is, you know, all around you. Maybe, and again, we don't need to even need the mirror from that perspective. But you can take the attitude of you have a choice of either I have to deal with that stinking imperfection or the alternative, I get to deal with it. And let me ask you a question. Which attitude did Jesus take? Which attitude did Jesus take? Remember, he's the one many of us are giving our lives to follow after. And Jesus had our imperfection to deal with for all eternity. Did he say, I have to begrudgingly, or did he say, I get to? What was Jesus' perspective? I truly believe that Jesus said, I love these crazy people, my children, and I get to deal with that imperfection. I get to deal with that imperfection all the way to the cross. And did that with full love in his hearts, with full acceptance, with full choice, not forced upon him. Well, let's see what Colossians 3 has to say about our dealing with imperfection. The passage goes on to say, uh, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, a couple of things emerge from these verses that we can learn from when it comes to dealing with imperfections here at church, okay? So I want to just unpack these verses. First of all, it says to bear with one another, and that really means to make allowance for other people's faults, right? So bear with one another means to go ahead and make allowance to put uh, allowance for other people's faults, and uh, so that's just right out there. Now, I know that you don't have any faults, you personally, right? And that you're never the problem. <laughs> but, but let's just pretend for once that you actually are at fault, right? That you are the problem. You can kind of go there in your mind. It might be a stretch for you, but let's go there. You know, for someone you're at fault, you're the problem. Wouldn't it be awesome to have someone be patient with you in that area? To, be, to, to have people, multiple people be patient with you, to, to bear with you, to not condemn you or cast you out or judge you or kick you in the process, but actually work with you? And to put up with something there. Now, I'm not saying that we should go totally codependent and never call people on their stuff, you know, especially if it's extreme and destructive behavior. I mean, God really wants us to sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron. And it says that in Proverbs 27:17, as iron sharpens another, so a friend sharpens a friend. God wants that to happen too. But I think, I think we can bear with each other a whole lot more than we do. And, 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 and give people the benefit of the doubt and put trust in the gap and go the extra mile, all these expressions, and, and maybe just let the little things go. They're, they're little things, and we can bear with each other and make allowance for other people's faults. That's what we're called to do. 
Second, these verses uh, then tell, they say to um, quit complaining and start forgiving. Quit complaining and start forgiving. And that's kind of an exchange that happens. And I did put in there, quit complaining, in parentheses, it says internally or externally, because um, I think there's really two types of complainers. Now, we think of one most, most frequently, and one's that obvious one. You know, that's the kind of the quick, res- the quick verbal response to, uh, to, uh, to something that happens, and it's a verbal complainer. And he or she gets heard, and they, they start talking about it, and talking about it, and talking about it. And, ta- and to anybody who will listen, or even if you won't listen, they're still going to talk about it. And they can go on that. Now, maybe that's you, or maybe you know someone like that who just, man, the complaints, and just piles up. And that's there, and, uh, and, and it you know, that's, that's the one that we think about the most. But some of us are what I would call more passive complainers. And uh, you, you see something you don't like, you get offended by, by someone or something, and you don't talk about it a lot, maybe a little bit, not a lot, but you, you dwell on it. You turn it over in your mind and, in, and even in your heart. And again, you might not say a whole lot just here and there, a little passive-aggressive barb or something, but it's just there, and there's complaining going on internally, and your heart's complaining. And uh, it can become a stew situation that starts to go bad over time as the stew ingredients start to rot. You ever lifted the lid of something and smelled it when it had gone bad? Put the lid on, right? That's kind of what can go on inside of us. So it isn't just, man, you're complaining all the time, blah, blah, blah. Man, we can get in that attitude of complaining that just turns into rotting stew inside. God's going, get rid of it. Get rid of it. See, God's solution for all the complaining is simply this. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, I thought about it. <laughs> it wasn't a pretty thought. If God wanted to complain about me, he could. And he could go on for days and days and days, let me tell you. And the ugly thing is that God doesn't sleep. So that would be some major complaining going on 24-7, right? I mean, he's got some major issues that he could do some, complain- some complaining about. But, but um, instead, he chooses to forgive. And he chooses to just wipe away the sin, wipe away the offenses. He chooses to just not see them. That's another gift in Jesus. And then he doesn't have anything to complain about because there's nothing there. God doesn't look at me through that pile of junk, that pile of sin. It's wiped clean and the smile is on his face. Forgiveness takes the place of complaining. So, see, first we receive his forgiveness, his empathy, even though we don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But, but he gives that to us. And, and then, he, then he calls us and empowers us to do the same thing for others. It says, you find yourself complaining externally or internally. Change that for forgiveness. The same thing that I did for you. So when I look at you, I'm not complaining. I'm smiling. I'm loving on you. And we can do the same thing. And he calls us to do the same thing. Well, the third thing that this verse says, to bear and bear with one another and to forgive each other instead of complaining. The next thing is to, we need to trust that love will restore the unity we sometimes lose. We need to trust this. Trust that love will restore the unity we sometimes lose. You see, when you come up with difficulties, with faults, with problems and complaints, all those things can very easily lead to disunity, you know? We break into sides on things and get into little battles that can, you know, little battles that all of a sudden escalate into big battles and all of a sudden, you know, and, and love gets shoved out the door so because, because we're fighting so hard for our rights, supposedly for our rights. And I, I heard a number of years ago, believe it or not, a church who was going through a remodel and expansion actually split into two over the, ready, color of the carpet that they were choosing. Literally color, I want this, I want this, I want this. Another church emerged as a result, and people left because they didn't like the color of the carpet. And we'd all sit here and go, what? And then I think somehow in the process, 
maybe we can look in that mirror, which we keep talking about, saying maybe that's not too far from where I am. Because I can start complaining about so many things, and I can start allowing myself to get divided by the style of music that's going on, or the temperature in the auditorium, or the length of the hair of the person next to me, or the tattoos, or the, or the who knows what's going on, what our church is doing, what our is church isn't doing, and all of a sudden we start doing this, and God says, hold on, this is about love and unity here, and, and what are we doing? Bearing, forgiving as Jesus did, and loving will bring us back together as a body, as his body. Dealing with the crazy church puts love first over our own agendas and over our own rights, <laughs> any rights we may feel we have. God's saying that's what it is, and that's going to bring us back together. And all of a sudden, the color of the carpet just doesn't matter so much, does it? Well, the next, church, the next step to dealing with the crazy church is to replace the craziness with peace and thankfulness. Replace the craziness with peace and thankfulness. And this is an awesome trade. It's a great trade, isn't it? I mean, if we can get rid of the craziness, clear some of that out, and instead put in peace and thankfulness, that sounds really good. Colossians 3, verse 15, we'll go on in that passage. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, I love this verse. I memorized it a bunch of years ago in the New American Standard Version like this. And, and what you need to hear is that it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You were called to it. You already have it. He doesn't say, let Jesus put the peace there. He didn't say, work real hard to find some peace. He says, let it rule. It's in you already. It's in you already, so let it rule. Let it take its place on the throne instead of shoving it off to the side. Instead, get rid of the selfishness, the craziness, the confusion, the fear, all those things that are there that want to tick off our lives. He says, stop. Let the peace of Christ, which you already have, let it rule in your hearts. To which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. You have to stop the madness and the noise sometimes to let his peace rule. But when you do, that peace will come and it will then lead to thankfulness. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? When we reflect on that, we find some peace and we be thankful. And then things like the color of the carpet just kind of go away. They don't matter. When we look at all we have, look at all he's done. <sighs> wow. That feels great. I'll take that peace that leads to thankfulness every time over the turmoil and craziness. Well, finally, in dealing with a crazy church, exhortation is to let Jesus work from the inside out. Let Jesus work from the inside out. Now, we talked at the very beginning about how it needs to be identity. It starts inside, but th this, is, this is stressed and, and furthered in this next little passage. All these things we're talking about are wonderful, you know, loving. They're great things to add to our lives, but we don't make them happen by staying up late at night trying really hard to make them happen. It starts with Jesus doing something new inside me and, and then letting it change the way I think and act and speak the way I relate, the way I do church. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. See where it starts? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you and with all, uh, excuse me, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Now it starts coming out with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness. There's that thankfulness again in your hearts to God. Starts here, it moves out. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. And this has to happen first. Let it dwell within you first. And, and not quickly dwell and move on, but in a, you know, in a shallow way, but richly, deeply. Let it go deep. Let it, let it dwell with you over time in intimate ways. Get to know Jesus at the soul level, at the deep soul level. And once that starts happening, once the inside starts being changed, then you can let it seep out 
then it, then it moves out inside and out and it seeps out wisely teach and admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Then you actually can sing with the thankfulness that you have. God in essence says, show your thankfulness as you lift your voice and your heart to him. A changed inside will result in a changed outside. And, you know, here's a thought regarding empathy. We talked earlier about the different ways that people worship at church, at our church, at other churches. And, and I think this, what about this? Um, instead of judging people around you for not singing, because I guess maybe I've even done that sometimes, to be honest, but maybe we do. You're in it, you look around, it's like, that person's not even standing up, they're not even singing, you know. And, and instead of doing that, or maybe they're not into it as much as you think they should, or the way that they should, they're too much, or they're not enough, and we can get into, it can become judgment. Wouldn't it be great and empathetic if, uh, if we considered why they might not be singing, or, or why they might not be participating in a certain way, and, and learn to pray for them instead of judging them? You see, it may have taken every last effort of their will to just get here on Sunday morning. They don't know what's going on in their life. It might be even you this morning. I just barely made it here at all. Felt like my heart was left somewhere on the highway coming in, and here I am. I feel like I'm empty. And the last thing you need is someone to get all critical about how you're not more involved. If you love Jesus, if you love God, you know. Would that be great if we could change the way we looked at other people instead of judging them? I just want to pray for them. Lord, help me understand that person. I want to pray wherever they're at. Not that they'd become more like me, scary, but they'd become all that you want them to be in your time and your place. Gosh, that's real different, isn't it? That's, that's empathy that starts from the inside out as Jesus changes me inside and moves outside. Now, we spend all this time talking about how to deal with a crazy church, and there's plenty of things to deal with here, right? We've spent all that time, but I want to switch gears and spend the last few minutes talking about, here we go, how to become a crazy church. Like, what? Okay, so how to become a good, and I put in caps, how to become a good crazy church. Now, I believe God wants us to be known as a crazy church because of our love, because of our love. I believe that totally. God wants our expression of his love to be so real, to be so vibrant, to be so tangible and selfless that people will say, are you crazy? You're crazy. Who loves like that? Who loves like that? And, and we can answer, Jesus does. Jesus does, and, and so does his good, crazy church that I get to be a part of. You may say, nobody loves like that. I found that Jesus loves like that, and he's helping me to, to love like that. And you can call me crazy, but it's a good crazy. It's a good crazy. And oh, our world needs good crazy, doesn't it? And I love a Jesus. We can do that when we allow God to do these things, the things we've talked about up to this point in Colossians 3, when we allow him to do them in and through you, inside and outside the church. This is the next slide and the last thing to fill in. We can become a good, crazy church when we allow God to do these things in and through you, inside and outside the church. All these things we talked about, we were talking about them, how to deal with this internal crazy church. Well, those same things will actually help us be a good, crazy church. It helps us deal with some of the flat sides of what crazy church can be. And then we get to become lifted up as, as, as the body of Jesus in a good, positive, crazy way. I would say, uh, let God not just begin, but continue to have his way with you so he can do all that he wants in and through you. The Apostle Paul caps this little section in Colossians 3 by saying this. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, inside or outside the church, 
do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. There it is again, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do. Now, so what does that crazy church, crazy love look like inside and outside the church? You know, inside the church, we've talked about it a lot, but it's not just putting up with people, those crazy people. That's not about, the empathy isn't putting up with, it's entering into, it's doing relationship with, it's going deep with people. It's love. And inside the church, beyond what we've said, wouldn't it be awesome if we as a church were aware enough as individuals and collectively, and that means outside of ourselves and up, able to get the eyes off ourselves, to, to care for those who are walking in the doors, who are wandering around the lobby, maybe that are exiting, exiting out to their cars each Sunday, you know? The people that are here, that everybody's different. And, and let's be not just the friendliest church we can be. And, you know, we get comments about that a lot, actually. We're a friendly church. But we don't want to just be the friendliest church we can be. But, but we want to be the most caring church because our friendliness went deeper than that little hi during the greeting time. I did my part. I got to four people today. Looked them right in the eye and everything. <laughs> Good start. God says there's something more. God says there's something more. And you can do that. You can start practicing that today, by the way, right out in the lobby, right after church. I'll give you an opportunity because we can. Not because you have to, because you can. You get to, right? Because we want to be a good, crazy church. That's what it looks like. It can look inside. Outside is simply this. Take it out of here and into the world. Take it into your world, your neighborhood, your workplace, your community. I reflected on this. Yesterday, we had kids' closet. A week ago, we had sisters' closet. Yesterday, we had about 120 families sign in. I don't know how many showed up, more than that, potentially, that came to come and just experience crazy church, people giving stuff away, kids' clothes, so they, 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 they could clothe their kids for free. Pretty cool. On Friday, they reminded me, some, some of our people that work with our at-risk, local at-risk youth did just barbecue to lunch for 150 local and out of the area that came in to visit, <laughs> long story, 150 at-risk students, ages 16 to actually 20 in that range, and, and two or three of our guys that are involved in this had a chance. This morning, they, were, they came up to me and said, thank you so much, Pastor John, for letting us do that. It was so much fun. Cooking for 150 at-risk, you know. Crazy love, crazy church happening here. And, and, you know, we have an opportunity. I wore this shirt again. I wore it last week to promote it, and I did wash it between last week and this week. But um, this Saturday, we have the opportunity yet again to take some crazy love, to take crazy church out into our community. It's our serve our community thing that we've talked about. This is not a guilt trip. You have to go or you don't love Jesus. It's not that. Some of you can't go. You got weddings, you got funerals, you're out of town, you things going on, whatever. But if you're not, you'd have a chance to join with a friend, a family member, a small group person, just on your own. Join a team and go, go to a campus. I don't even know where that campus is. John, we'll let you know, you know, whatever. To sign up for something and say, I'm going to go take some love to people uh, in our community who don't know what crazy, good crazy is. And I get a chance to do that. Now, I, over the last few months, am helping oversee putting this whole project together. I've had the chance to meet with principals and overseers and kind of big shots over organizations to find out how we could serve them. And you won't get this benefit. I did uh, of meeting with them and not just having them go, well, I can come up with a few things you can do. You know, you can vacuum my room. You know, it isn't little stuff like that. Almost without exception, they were saying things to me like, thank you so much. Oh, you have no idea the help this is going to be. For some people, they, we've been waiting years to get this done. We just didn't have the resources, manpower, whatever in the process. Thank you so much. Why is this crazy church doing this crazy stuff? 
You get a chance to be the crazy church in that opportunity there. Now, this Saturday isn't the only time to do this, but it's a good time to do it. There's my encouragement and plug to fill out your thing and go out to the table out in the lobby and plug in somewhere. If you can, spend a few hours on Saturday morning to do that. It's a chance to show that we're different. Who I am and whose I am makes a difference. The clothing I put on is empathetic clothing so that I can connect with people so that our crazy church starts being an expression of love that's going to transform community in a beautiful way. You want to be a part of that? Shows up in a lot of chances. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, oh, the, the, I'd say the challenge, but the opportunity that lies before us. Thank you that you love us as crazy as we are and that you call us. Lord Jesus, it was your idea to say, I want my body to be the crazy church. Uh, as imperfect as we are, God, thank you that you have chosen to deal with us and then you give us the opportunity to not just deal with each other, but to love and to bear with one another and to forgive and to just put on that perfect bond of unity, which is love. God, I just pray right now, if there's someone here who, who loves what they've heard and they don't have you, Lord Jesus, in their heart, that they would open up right now to you. I just simply ask you to forgive them and to lead their lives and to begin that relationship this morning. And you can do that now if that's you. And for those of us that have done that, God, we want to open ourselves to what you want us to, to do as you remake us, to empower us and give us a new vision of how we can truly be uh, the crazy church. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.